And dobbed in. We've got some muscle. There we go. Got some muscle here now. I'll do my glasses. This week... This week we celebrated uh, Anzac Day. Who who went to a dawn service this week? You don't have to put your hand up. It's yeah, but if you didn't, you're not a bad person. You're just not a good person. Um, it's not true. <laughs> not true. I got up and went down to the dawn service in Ballina. Um, I like to go down there and take the kids down because um, we want to remember what these servicemen and women have done. Because we're actually living in freedoms that they fought to give us. So I think sometimes we think freedom just fell out of the sky and we're just free and it's just the luck of the draw. But it's not the luck of the draw. It was the sacrifice of, of, of men and women that have gone before us that fought. And as a result of their sacrifice, we live in certain freedoms and we're benefiting from what they did and what they went through. And, of course, last Sunday we celebrated Easter and we talked about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. And I'm a big believer that, uh, and we talked about it last week, that Easter, uh, on Easter we celebrate an actual historical event. We remember what this man Jesus did. And we're confronted with the question, the reality of that moment in history. Our faith rests on an event. Our faith is an event-based faith. It's not a book-based faith. It's not Jesus loves me, this I know, because a book tells me so. It's Jesus loves me because I go back through human history 2,000 years ago and I see a flesh and blood man sacrificed on a cross and physically giving his life for me. I go back in history and I see... Men and women who carried that message, who physically gave their lives because they so believed in this message. So much so that 2,000 years down the track, here we are sitting uh, here celebrating that man, celebrating that moment in history. So a couple of weeks ago, the week before that, we began to talk about the benefits of following God. Psalm 103, uh, verse 1 to 5. And David, and we don't know what's going on in David's life at this particular juncture when he writes this what we do know is whatever was going on he just felt the need to remind himself of something and he says bless the lord O my soul and all that's within me bless his holy name he's speaking to himself how many people here talk to themselves you're not mad david used to do it <laughs> david even wrote it down but anyway he says bless the lord he's speaking to himself come on bless the lord rise up whatever's going on rise up bless god and forget not all his benefits Forget not all his benefits. In other words, bless God because there are things that he brings into your world that you wouldn't otherwise have. There are liberties and freedoms and experiences that you have because of him that you wouldn't otherwise have outside of him necessarily. And he goes on and he says, forget not all his benefits. And then he lists just some benefits, broad brushing a few benefits. And the very first one that he mentions there, if we go on to verse 3, Luke, it says, who forgives all your iniquities. And he goes on, heals your diseases, redeems your life, and so on. But the very first one that comes to mind, it's interesting that the very first one that comes to mind 
for David when he thinks about the benefits of God. The very first thing that he thinks of is this, who forgives all your iniquity, all your sin. It's almost like David's there going, you know what, I, I, I've, I've, I'm following God with all my heart and there are so many things he gives me, but the first thing, the very first entry point into all the other benefits of God is forgiveness. Is to be forgiven for the things I've done wrong. Sin is a, 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 a funny word. What it literally was back in the day was it was an archery term. Sin was, it literally meant falling short of the mark. So a guy would pull a bow and arrow back and he would launch an arrow at a target. And if it fell short of the target, there'd be a guy at the other end, he'd call out sin. In other words, the arrow fell short. And when the Bible talks about sin, it talks about us falling short of a target. And that target is God's perfection. That target is, is, is God's holiness, God's righteousness. And we fall short of that because we're human beings. We're separated from God. We were removed from all the benefits of God because of this thing called sin. It's just falling short of God's perfection, falling short of God's mark. That's how we ended up out of relationship with God in the first place. The Bible, uh, it go back in the book of Genesis, and the writer of Genesis records the creation and, and the beginning of human history. And he talks about this couple called Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were created and they're put in the Garden of Eden. And God says, you know what? There's a thousand things you can do. There's one thing you can't do. Only one. You can do anything else. There's one you can't do. How many of you have got children? And how many times have you said, a little bit like God to Adam and Eve, there's a thousand things you can do. I just don't want you to do that. And what do they go and do? And they go and do the one thing that you say don't do. It's sort of part of this nature of humanity ever since that moment. And so God says, you can do all these things, just don't do that. And Adam and Eve made this decision. And the decision was kind of like this, I guess, in their brain was, okay, God, you know some stuff, but we know some stuff too. Uh, I know what you're saying, God, and you've probably got an intellect here, but you know what, I feel like we can maybe match it a little bit. And with a little bit of persuasion from a snake, they went, yeah, we, we, this makes sense. We're going to go and have a grab at that and have a go ourselves. And so they decided they could do better. They decided they didn't really have to do it God's way. And the result of that was this thing called sin. They, they fell short of the mark of God. God said, don't do that. They did. They fell short of the mark. And at that moment, they were separated from relationship with God. It wasn't that God didn't love them, but this thing called sin built a brick wall between them and God because God is perfection and imperfection can't stand in his presence. It can't be with God. And so this thing called sin enters the world. And ever since then, it's been passed down through generation, 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 generation. It's an inbuilt thing. It's innate in the human condition. It's the Bible refers to it as the sinful nature of man. And we're all born with this nature. And we all need forgiveness. Everybody needs forgiveness. And David makes the mention here in Psalm 103, the very first thing he says, the entry point to all the other benefits of God is forgiveness. And he goes on, he says, God forgives all of our sins, all of our things. It doesn't matter what we've done, that God has the capacity to forgive everything. It doesn't matter how big, how small, what you think. You know, we've all got ideas of what a bad sin is and what a not-so-bad sin is, don't we? We've all got our degrees of sin, you know. And usually the really bad sins are the ones that you don't commit. Yeah? The ones that you don't struggle with, 
They're usually not the bad, you know, they're the bad ones because you don't struggle with it. That's a really bad one. I can't believe that that person looks at that stuff. I can't believe it because you don't struggle with it. And this person over here is going, I can't believe that you don't pay your taxes or I can't believe that you cheat in business or you cut corners because they don't do it. And we always seem to think the worst sin is the thing that somebody else is doing and the thing that we're on top of. Or am I the only person that thinks like that? Daniel does, I know he does. Tells me all the time what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> Always correcting me. <laughs> so there's this thing called sin. The book of James, there's a, a guy in the New Testament, he wrote a book called James in the second part of the Bible, the New Testament, and James makes this statement, he says, in regards to the laws of God, the perfection of God, he says, if you've broken one law, you're guilty of breaking every single law. Every single law. So in other words, if I stole a pen from work... I can justify it and say, well, it's just a pen. It doesn't matter. Did you pay for it? Was it yours? No. So you took that pen from work. So you're a thief. We wouldn't call ourselves a thief. We'd just say, oh, it's just a bit naive. Oh, it's just, you know. In the Old Testament, the Bible says that, that the priests of Israel used to sacrifice animals and spill blood for the forgiveness of sins. In the book of, of Hebrews, the guy that wrote Hebrews makes mention in one particular passage, he says that the priests would kill these animals and the, the priests would go on in and he would sacrifice these animals and the blood would be spilled to cover the sins of Israel, even those that were committed in ignorance. So in other words, there are things that you do wrong that you don't even know you're doing wrong. So you might stand there and go, well, I tick the boxes, I'm pretty good before God, but I'll guarantee you there are things you do that God would call sin that you're probably not even aware of. But you're aware of some, so you go and we, we, we repent and we do all these things. But there's a whole bunch that you probably commit that you're unaware of. So what happens to them? What happens to them? This is kind of why we think. Last week, before I started, I said to you, don't shoot me down. Remember that? Don't shoot me down. I'm going to say some things today. I don't want you to shoot me down. I'm going to say the same thing today. I want to say a few things. Don't shoot me down. Don't put your fingers in your ear. Stay open. Don't think, you know, if you want to come to me afterwards and ask me some questions, do it. But don't shoot me down. I want you to stay open, all right? Because I want to talk about the very first benefit that David refers to in Psalm 103, and that is he forgives all your sins. Psalm 68, verse 19, says this. It says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, the God of our salvation. He daily loads you with benefits. God daily loads you up with benefits. Every day, there are things that you walk in, things you experience that are benefits of your relationship with God. It's not a case of let's get our lives right with God and then we'll eke our way through existence. One day we'll die and be in heaven. It's more than that. It's not just about the destination. It's like the plane trip I talked about the other week. I buy a ticket to take me over there, but guess what? There's a whole bunch of things on that trip, benefits I get on that journey as well. It's not just about being there, but the journey is a part of the price of the ticket. And so there are benefits here in the journey. And David says that, that God daily excuse me, loads us up with benefits. Jesus himself made a few statements. I won't go into all of them, but Matthew 6.33 is one of my favourite passages. He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, there's a whole bunch of things that you don't have to worry about, and he's speaking there specifically of your provision and your food and the clothes on your back and roof over your head. He's talking about the basics and the necessities of life. He's saying don't chase after them. That's what people do that don't have God. Their whole life is about a bigger bank account, a bigger house, a bigger car, chasing all those material things. He who dies with the most toys wins kind of mentality. And Jesus said to his followers, don't live like that. He said, seek first God. 
If you focus on God and you seek God first, all these other things are byproducts of the most important thing, which is your relationship with God. Getting right with God and allow all these other things to flow into your life. God will add those things to your life. So Jesus himself is saying, yes, there are benefits this side of heaven. It's not just get saved, fire insurance and go to heaven. He's saying there are benefits here. One of the disciples came to Jesus one time and after uh, this rich young guy came up to Jesus and said, you know, um, what, what do I got to do to be right with you? And he goes through all the commandments and the guy says, I've you know, kept them all. Um, he obviously hadn't. I'm sure there were some things that he didn't know about himself. The heart's deceitful above all things. All things. I think I'm way better than I really am. Ask me, I'll tell you. My wife will tell you too. Won't you? You will, won't you? Yeah, just checking. I'm not telling a lie because that would have been a sin. I'd be in trouble. Gosh, it's like a fantasy cycle. And after this guy walks away because Jesus says, right, now sell everything, give it to the poor. And the guy walks away because he's got all these riches and all this wealth. And one of the disciples say to Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, you know what? Whatever you've given up to follow me, houses, lands, relationships. And so he said, you're going to get more in this life and the next. Again, he says, you know what? There are benefits to following me. Follow me first. Put me first. And I'll add a whole bunch of things to your life that will blow your mind. I'll give things to you and I'll add things to you this side of heaven. And David in Psalm 103 says the entry point to all of that is forgiveness of our sin. Who forgives all our sin. Psalm 103, verse 10 to 12, a little bit further on in the same psalm, David says this. He says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. He's talking to those of us that have made that decision to follow God. This is who he's talking to, those who fear him. This is something that he's saying for those of you who have looked at the cross and gone, Jesus, you died for me. I repent. I turn my life over to you and we're walking the other side of the cross. He's speaking to these people. He says, this is what happened when you came to God and you you laid your sin out before him. And you invited him to come and take possession of your world and you made a choice to live for God, not just for yourself. He says, this is what happened. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Everyone, I want you to understand that if you're here and you've given your life over to God, this is, a, this is the truth, this is the reality. Whether you feel it or not, your sin has been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Right now. Oh, but you don't know what I did this morning. Well, you know what God did this morning when you did what you did this morning? This is what God did this morning. He threw it away. As far as the east is from, anyone ever seen someone throw something all the way to the east and all the way to the west? Anyone ever seen someone do that? It's violent. It's aggressive. I've seen it only once in my whole life have I seen it. Once. Jackie was making a cake. (laughs) My wife was making a birthday cake and I think it was Buzz Lightyear cake. Tigger, it was Tigger, and she wanted to make the perfect Tigger cake for young Johnny when Johnny was about five or something like that. And, and, and she, you know, she poured her heart and her soul into this cake, and she's this cake, and we were living in, in Mitchelton in Brisbane at the time in a two-story place. We're upstairs, and I walk into the kitchen, and she's making this cake, and all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, she decided to throw her, the, the, the cake from the east to the west. She picked it up, she grabbed handfuls, she's throwing it in. Ah, oh, stick of this cake. Ah, ah. She's throwing this cake in the stove, cake on the windows, cake on the floor, cake on the fridge, all over the place. And when I read this verse yesterday and I was thinking about it, I thought, God, I've, I wish I could see that. And the Lord said, you have seen it. Remember when Jackie threw the cake? <laughs> 
as far as the east is from the west. And I thought, yes, God, what a great picture. That's you grabbing our sin and just going, oh, over, it's gone. I don't want to see it again. It's out of here. He starts throwing us in. As far as the east is from the west, Isaiah, one of the prophets in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 38, verse 17, Isaiah said this. He said, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. For you have cast all my sin behind your back. Think about that. Think about that for a second. God has cast all your sin behind his back. So let's imagine, Jeff, you're there and all your sin is here. Here's what what God has done. I've picked up your sin and I've put it behind my back and I'm standing here. Now what should you be looking at? You should be looking at me. Not looking at your sin. Not looking at your mistakes. Not looking at the things you don't do right. Not looking at your failures. Not looking at your weaknesses. You should be looking at me. You can't see them things if you're looking at Jesus because all that muck of your life is behind him. It's behind him. Yet how many of us are still looking at the muck and the sin and the junk and we've never really embraced and understood the forgiveness that Jesus offers us? Let me ask you a question. I want you to imagine that Jesus Christ himself walks in this room. He grabs a chair and he turns it around, puts it in front of you. He sits down and he looks you in the eyes. He says this. He says, I know everything that you have done this week and for your whole life. I've heard every thought you've had. I've seen everything that you looked at, everything you allowed your eyes to gaze upon. Every word you've allowed your ears to partake of and listen to. And I know every motivation behind everything you've ever done. And then he just stopped and stared in your eyes and waited for your reaction. What would your reaction be? This is Jesus looking you in the eye saying, I know everything, everything about you. And then he sat back on his chair and he waited for your reaction. What would your reaction be? It's an interesting question. Because the answer to that question tells you a lot about how you view his forgiveness. Your answer to that question tells you a lot about what you understand about the difference between the blood of Jesus and the blood of a lamb or a cow or a sheep. I came across this verse this week and I really love it. I've read it before but it just jumped out of the page at me. Hebrews chapter 7. In verse 18 and 19, it says this. It says, for on the one hand... Now, the writer of Hebrews is writing to people who are extremely versed in the, Jew, uh, the Jewish religion and all the systems and all the, the temple worship and, and all that stuff. He knows this stuff and he's writing to people that know that. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, I want to show you how all this stuff was a shadow and that Jesus was the real thing. This was all temporary. This was all temporary in the very mind and heart of God. It was a temporary structure until the real thing came. And I haven't got time to go through the entire Bible. I could show you. 
show you from start to finish that the temple was never a place where God ever said, I'm going to put my presence. He was always waiting for the temple of the church to place his presence. God was never interested in the blood of bulls and goats. It was never going to do the finished job. It was always pointing forward, waiting for the blood of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says to them. He says, For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. In other words, all these systems and structures in the Old Testament, the sacrificing of animals, the spilling of blood, all the rituals, all that stuff, he said, there's been an annulling of that. That's all finished. Because none of that stuff could make anybody perfect. It served its purpose, but its purpose is over. This is what he's saying. It served a purpose, but the purpose has passed on. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. There's an annulling of something old and there's the bringing in of something better. We would call that as Christians and the old agreement that God had with mankind, the old covenant, the Old Testament, call it what you want, And we would call the good thing, the better thing, the New Testament, the new agreement that God has with mankind. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying the old is done away with. There's a new way now. There's a new way now. Just bear with me. Don't shout me down. How many of us are aware that there's now a new agreement between man and God, but we still live under the old agreement between man and God. How many of us are aware up here there's a new agreement? But within our conscience and this religious thing inside of us, we're still living under this old system of God without even probably realising that we do. And one of the areas where it's most evident is when it comes to the shedding of blood for forgiveness of sin. If Jesus came into this room and sat in front of you, here's what most of us would probably do. We would probably break down and weep over our sin and how terrible we are and what we've done wrong. And we would probably be basket cases as we sat opposite Jesus when he revealed to us that he knows everything about us. We would probably sit there and we would probably weep and break down. Here's why. Because most of us, we live more conscious of our sin than we do of his forgiveness. We're more conscious of sin than we are of forgiveness. More conscious of our weaknesses and our failings and what we would perceive to be the power of those to drag us down than the blood of Jesus and the power of the cross to lift us up. We believe this new thing, but we kind of still live under this old thing. Like there needs to be something else that needs to happen. Like we're waiting for the right ritual or the right step or the right religious activity or whatever it is to cleanse that conscience so that we can be restored back to a place that we were before we felt like we sinned. And we go on this carousel, this roundabout, up and down. I had a a situation some years back with Johnny and this so illustrated it to me. I took Johnny fishing, my, my middle boy, I took him fishing. (laughs) 
And we went down to the river in Ballina and a, a couple of his mates, one of his mates came and uh, we're fishing down there and I, 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 he had no fishing gear and I love fishing and I love my fishing gear, by the way. I, 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 I have good fishing gear. And so I went down there with Johnny and his mate and I got some rods and I made it up for them. We went down there, we're fishing and I only had one rule. I only got one rule with my boys when they were young when we fish. I said, guys, just, just, would, would you please just hold the rod? I don't just put it down because you know what's going to happen, don't you? Something's going to drag it off and I'm going to lose my thing. But, you know, just like Adam and Eve, they only had one rule. What do they do? Complete opposite. So what does Johnny do? I'm sitting there fishing and his mate catches a stingray. <laughs> so Johnny's holding his rod. So I went, put mine in, put it down, go over. I'm, I'm, I'm winding up this stingray for Johnny's mate and I'm bending down to cut it off. And as I'm about to cut it off, I, I hear this, oh, that's a big stingray, Dad. And I looked across and went, yeah, I know. Johnny, what are you doing? Where's your rod? It's over there, Dad. I look over. Just as I look over, the tip of the rod goes bang, bang, zoom, straight into the water. I run over to the edge of the thing. I see my rod just tottering on the surface of the water. I'm stripping down. It must have looked terrible to cars going past. Me and these two little boys, and here I am stripping all my clothes off and I'm down to my underpants, and I'm on the edge, and I'm just about to dive in in my underwear. And just before I got to dive in, the rod went boom and disappeared into the blackness of the river, and I never saw that fishing rod ever again. Well, I turned around, just being a nice, calm father. It's okay, Johnny, doesn't it? That's not what I did at all. I turned around, I said, what have you done? I only asked you to do one thing, Johnny. It's not that hard. Why did you put the rod down? That's a good rod. That's why I don't want to... And Johnny's just sitting there, eyes wide. And he goes, sorry, Dad. And when he said, sorry, Dad, I was so... Oh, what have I done? You know, it's just a fishing rod. So I turned to him and said, oh, it's okay, Johnny, I'll forgive you. And he went, okay, good, can I use your rod now and have a fish? What? Don't you understand the significance of what you've done? Don't you understand how bad that, what do you mean? Okay, Dad, and you've... I got even angrier at the poor kid. I'm blowing up inside because, you know why I was angry? Because he actually took me at my word that I'd forgiven him and moved on with his life. I couldn't believe the audacity of this arrogant little human being. I'm thinking, you don't do that. Just because I said sorry, it doesn't matter. You still got to prove to me that you're sorry. Gosh. And the Holy Spirit very clearly spoke to me in that moment and said, Alan, you're only reacting like that because you don't understand forgiveness. What's he done wrong? He apologized. I said, You're forgiven. And he just got on with his life. Just got on with his life. He actually believed me when I said to him, You're forgiven. It had an impact on his life straight away. He was free. He didn't walk around looking guilty as much as I wanted him to. He did not walk around looking guilty. He didn't carry on like he was ashamed. He didn't carry on like he was condemned. He was bold in my presence. He didn't feel like he had to earn his way back. He just said, yep, forgiven, bang, that I trust you, and he moved on. And it had an impact on the way that he lived his life. And you know what? I think many of us, this side of the cross, we've received forgiveness from God, but when we fail and when we fall short, we still kind of feel like, even though we know the Bible says we're forgiven, we feel like we've got to go through, we've got to maybe prove to God that we're worthy of forgiveness, we've got to do something to get forgiveness. It's almost like when the cross happened and Jesus died 2,000 years ago, okay, I come to Christ and I confess my sins, he forgives me and I'm free. But then when I stumble and fall and make a mistake, it's almost like I'm waiting for him to be crucified again before I'll accept the power of what happened back then. 
It's like I'm waiting for something else to happen so that I can actually walk in forgiveness and believe that I'm actually forgiven. In essence, I know what the New Testament teaches. One man died, Christ died once for all. That sin has been done away with. That I have been forgiven through the cross. And I come to the cross and I accept that. And I walk through the other side and go, wow, I'm free. And then I keep on walking on my journey. And here's what's interesting. When I first came to faith at 19 years of age, it was the most beautiful period of my life. Because I didn't know anything but God. I didn't really know what sins were. I just knew that there was a hole in my heart, a void in my life, and I couldn't fill it with all the other things and trappings of life that I tried. And I knew that, that God, if God exists, then he's way better than me, and I've definitely fallen short, and I need forgiveness. I need this thing called grace to bridge the gap between where I'm at and where he's at. And that's what the cross was about. That's what Jesus was about, to bridge that gap. So I knew I needed that, so I confessed my sin to God. And my, you know what my sin was? I'm just living for myself. I don't sit there and list every individual thing. I, don't have to do, I just need to say, God, I know this. I'm where I am now because I've done everything for myself and I have not looked to you for one thing. I've not lived a minute of my life for you. I've lived it all for me. And look where it's got me. So Lord, forgive me. Come and fill my life. Take this thing and do something and change me. And he did. And I went on and I just had the most beautiful life. It was fantastic. Until I became smart enough to know what sin was. I hung around church long enough and then I realised, oh, these are the sins. These are the bad things. You can't do that. You can't do that. And then all of a sudden when I do those things, I would feel just like I felt before I came to Jesus. I go right back here. I'm feeling guilt and shame and condemned. And it's almost like the cross, that moment in time, now has been all erased because I sinned. It's like the power of the blood of Jesus disappeared because I sinned. How bizarre is that? Well, if the power of the cross is gone and I've sinned and I'm feeling all these things, now I've got to do something again to get forgiveness again. So I'm back on this treadmill and I'm back on this thing trying to find what have I got to do. So here's the thing. Your ability to sin doesn't make you a sinner. It actually proves that you're free in Christ. That's what it proves. You are totally free in Jesus to choose that way or that way. Your ability to sin doesn't make you a sinner. Let me tell you something. There's this word in the Bible, hagios. It's a Greek word. And it means uh, most holy thing. Hagios. It's translated in your Bible and my Bible as the word saint. Saint. Now, if you go into the New Testament part of the Bible and you look at the letters that the writers wrote, you'll see the Apostle Paul is a great example. Nearly every letter that he writes, he starts it by saying, to the saints, 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 to the saints. He's speaking to people this side of the cross. I'm talking to people this side of forgiveness. He says, the saints, the saints. He even writes it to the Corinthian church, which was one of the most out there group of believers at the time. I mean, they had all kinds of weird things going on. He addressed all kinds of issues amongst them, yet he still opens his letter by going to the saints, to the saints, to the saints. Are you a saint or a sinner? How do you see yourself? Are you forgiven or are you not? You go through the New Testament, here's another interesting thing. 
You won't find anywhere in the New Testament where a group of believers, people that are this side of the cross are referred to as sinners. You won't find it. The only time is probably you'll find Paul the Apostle when he writes to Timothy one time and he says, um, um, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He's speaking about what he was before he came to faith. See, I'm a saint, not a sinner. I'm forgiven. What, what, what is a saint? A saint is a forgiven sinner. But as long as I think forgiven sinner, and I do this, I'm just a forgiven sinner. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Well, if I keep looking at myself as a sinner, then I keep being conscious of sin. I shouldn't be looking at sin. I'm not conscious of sin. I'm conscious of the God who's placed my sins behind his back. If I go around thinking I'm a sinner, then I'm just waiting to fail again. I'm just waiting till the next time I fall short. I'm almost preparing myself for the fact that, well, I'm going to fail again. I'm going to fail again. I'm going to fail again. I'm a saint. God calls you a saint. Do you see yourself as a saint or do you see yourself as a sinner? Do you see yourself as forgiven or somebody who's still trying to find forgiveness? When Jesus died on the cross, the, the writers of this book tell us that the power of sin was broken. The power of sin was broken. How many of you here who are saved and born again, still sin. You still make mistakes. You still fall short. I do. What's the power of sin then? If the power of sin is broken, why do I still make mistakes? Why do I still get it wrong? What's the power of sin? You can eat of that tree and do whatever you want, but you can't touch that one. Well, I'm going to go and grab that one. And what happened? Sin had the power to separate man from God. The power of sin is its ability to separate you from God. That's the power of sin. Now, if the power of sin has been broken, then what do you think every time you make a mistake? Are you re-separated from God? Is that how you feel? Is that how you live? We have a knowledge of the new system. So many of us are still living in the old. I sin, I make a mistake. I feel like there needs to be another sacrifice to cover my sin. Either I've got to get a bit more religious. I've got to read more Bible, pray more. Go to more meetings and do these things to, 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 to basically to prove to God that I'm worthy of the forgiveness on offer. Well, it's no different than killing a heifer or a bull in the Old Testament to cover your sin. The book of Hebrews tells us that, that when they did that, when they were under that system, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10 says this. He says, every time the priests would go in, daily and yearly they would kill an animal. And he said, the, the, the killing of the animal was a constant reminder to them of their sins. It constantly reminded them. Every time they did a sacrifice, it reminded them, you're sinners. It reminded them, you're sinners. So we fall short and we feel like we're sinners again and we focus on what ritual do we need to do. I need to be, be, be better. I need to pray more. I need to whatever. Maybe I give more. 
Maybe I need to have an hour-long repentance session on my knees, praying, asking God for forgiveness. Lord, forgive me, because I've failed you again, God. What is that? If it's not going back to the Old Testament, and let's provide another sacrifice. Was the blood of Jesus enough for sin, past, present, future? Did he take care of sin for good? You see, the power of sin is broken. That doesn't mean you don't fall short. What it means is that sin no longer has the ability to build a wall between you and God unless you and your conscience allow it to. But from where God is sitting, your shortcomings and failures, once you have repented and gone through the cross, your shortcomings and failures don't separate you from God. What sort of a belief system is that? Yet we subconsciously, many of the people in the church have it. I sin, I've been cast out of the presence of God because I sinned. So, so how are you going to get back in? Because Jesus has died once for all. God's not doing anything else about sin now. So what, are you saying you're good enough now to tear the wall down? Or are you going to go back to something that happened 2,000 years ago and go, no, 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 that happened. I know it happened. So there's no wall between me and you, God. I don't have to grovel back to you. I can come boldly to the throne of grace. I don't have to punish myself. I don't have to beat myself up. I am forgiven. I'm not, I'm not a sinner trying to get forgiveness. I'm a saint who is forgiven. It's a position I hold because of God's free will choice, not something I earned. It's not something I've earned. But how many of us subconsciously, we still go through these rituals. I sin and I feel guilty and I feel bad and all this stuff and I feel like I've got to go through some kind of religious ritual to reapply the blood of Jesus to my circumstance. You're forgiven once for all. You are forgiven once for all. That's what the Bible teaches us. We are forgiven See, Johnny's life was changed because he believed when I said you're forgiven. He got on with life. And he actually enjoyed the rest of his day. How many people sitting in churches were so dour? We can't enjoy life because I don't want want to enjoy it too much. I might sin and if I sin, I'm separated from God. Then I've got to do something to get back in his presence. Oh, it's just terrible. Why would anybody want to come to a Jesus like that? Why would anybody in their right mind want to bind themselves up to a religious system like the one that we sort of portray is the one that the Bible talks about. It's not. What Jesus did on the cross, he did once for all. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being set apart. By one offering he has perfected you forever those who are being set apart. You know what? If Jesus came in this room, turned the chair around, sat down in front of you and said to you, I know everything you've ever done, every thought you've ever had, every word you've ever spoken. And every intention of your heart from the day you were born. You might have been able to put a mask on, and other people might have not seen what I saw, but I see everything. Everyone's seen Toy Story, that little kid's thing? First one where the head spins, I see everything. Those of us that still feel like we're still killing animals and we've still got to make up for our sin, maybe we would sit there and weep and cry and feel sorry for ourselves and feel and we would probably call it humility and I'm not saying in our heart you're not being humble but I'm just saying we would probably carry you know what I think Jesus would want us to do look him in the eye and say thank you for forgiveness thank you for the forgiveness I walk in thank you for your forgiveness I don't think he'd want us groveling I think he'd point back to the cross and go you were forgiven 2,000 years ago 
Sin has no power over you. Don't give sin a power it doesn't have. Don't allow sin to make you feel like you are separated from God again. You were separated once. You were reconciled once. You are, you, are, you are in relationship with God. God is for you, not against you. You are imperfect. But sin doesn't have the power now to come in. Otherwise, we would be in, out, in, out, in, out all day. I think Jesus would want us to look him in the eye and just simply say, thank you for forgiveness. You know, I don't go around my day anymore every time I make a mistake. I don't feel like I've got to get on my knees, close my closet and spend all my time praying and saying, oh God, forgive me for this, forgive me for that, forgive me for this. Now I know some of you are sitting there and you're thinking of 1 John. Some of you are thinking about Jesus' model prayer. I haven't got time to go into all that. But I believe that all that supports exactly what I'm saying. Supports exactly what I'm saying, if you look at the context of it. I don't grovel anymore. I fall short. So here's the thing. I know I've fallen short. I turn back to God and I just say, thank you for your forgiveness. I love the story of the prodigal son. I'll finish with this. I love the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal son, he's at home with dad. He says, dad, give me all my inheritance. If you go back into the culture of the day, disrespectful, rude, should never have done it. But the father graciously says, no worries, here you go, take it. He takes it off, he runs away, he spends it all on on wasteful living, money, uh, on girls, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is. He wastes it all. Finds himself one day working for a guy in a pig pen feeding slops to a pig. And the Bible says he has his epiphany. He says to himself, he says, what am I doing? I'm going to return and go home and say to my dad, I've sinned before you and God. He should take me back but put me as a hired servant because I know I'm not good enough and I know I don't deserve to be put back as your son and I'll start at the bottom and I'll work my... And then he turns and he begins to come home. The Bible says that his father sees him down the road. And his father stops whatever he's doing and runs down the road towards his son. <coughs> when did that young man repent? Because he had this speech. You all know the story. If you've been in church long enough, you know the story. He had a speech prepared. I'm going to go and say this and this this. And his dad just crashed the party. Not interested. When did he repent? When he got down on his knees in his closet and said, Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I've got to get this. Or was it when in his heart he said, What am I doing? This is wrong. When you do something wrong, why, why do we kill a bull? Why do we have these things that we feel like we're going to go back over to receive the benefit of forgiveness from God? Why do we do it? I do something wrong straight away. I go, that was wrong. My first reaction, Father, thank you for forgiveness. Confession in the New Testament. Confession in the New Testament, constantly for saints, is this, confess Christ. Maybe there are times where the Bible says, confess to one another. If I've offended you, hurt you, whatever. But I'm forgiven by God. Now, maybe in my conscience, as part of my journey, I still feel like I need to have that, that repentance session and pray. Go for it. No dramas. But I want you to understand this, that you were forgiven 2,000 years ago on the cross. You don't have to do that. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You're no longer a sinner. You are a saint. You are a holy one of God. Not because you live perfectly, not because you don't sin, but because sin no longer has power over you. Your sin doesn't separate you from God. When you make a mistake, you're not separated from God. Therefore, you don't have to find a way to claw your way back into relationship with God. I was on a boat 
and I'll finish with this. Just stalling while Bevan cooks the barbecue. I was on a boat in the Solomon Islands some years back and we were travelling over from the uh, island of, uh, of, uh, of Guadalcanal across to Malaita. And a couple of years previous, before that, there was a big civil war broke out. And the Malaitans came across the Guadalcanal and they were taking all the jobs. And the reason they were doing that was because the Malaitans worked really hard. So they came across, took the jobs. It ended up being this big civil war. I spent many years going in and out of the Solomon Islands before the civil war, during and after. After it was a totally different place. I remember after, after that being on a boat and we were heading across to Malaita and this guy on a, an outreach team I was leading sat down with a guy and started to chat with him and talk to him about uh, God and the forgiveness that God offers. And this guy turned to him, this island guy, and I've never forgot it, said to him, um, God can't forgive me. And this team member said, no, of course he can. God can forgive anything. And this islander looked at him, put his hands up and said, no, you don't understand. I've got blood on my hands. God can't forgive me as tears welled up in his eyes. Because during the Civil War, he'd literally taken people's lives. That's what they did. They just ran around killing in the streets. This team member tried to explain to him again, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand the power of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He can forgive anything. He can forgive anything. And he wants to. And if you're here today, I don't know your heart before God. And I want to say this, what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross was powerful. It was powerful enough for every one of your sins to be forgiven. It was powerful enough to take away the shame and the guilt and the condemnation, all the things that are associated with sin, all the things that the devil would bring into your life, all the things that you feel would separate you from a truly holy and perfect God. The blood of Jesus dealt with all of that stuff. If you don't know Jesus, let me encourage you. Open up your heart to him, invite him, ask him to reveal himself to you, ask him to come into your life. He'll do it. He's done it for me. He's done it for many other people here. If you do know Jesus in this place, let me encourage you. Go home and do me a favor. Read the book of Hebrews. Read it. See, Jesus has initiated a new covenant, a better covenant. And we need to be people who live in the new, not people who are aware that something is new but we're still living under the old. I'm forgiven, and if I walk out of here today and I sin, as soon as I realize I've done the wrong thing, I'm going to thank my Father for the forgiveness that he gave to me 2,000 years ago. And then I'm going to move on with my life and ask him, can I have another fishing rod, Dad? Can I use your rod? And my daddy's going to say, here you go, son, move on. Because that's my Father. Lord, thank you for forgiveness. God, I pray that you would help us reframe and reshape our perspective of forgiveness, Lord. David said that it was the entry-level benefit. God, if we don't understand this, if we don't understand that we are forgiven, then Lord, how will we ever confidently walk into any other blessing of God? How will we confidently ever lay a hold of the power of God? How will we confidently ever walk in the spirit and the gifts and the power? How will we confidently ever make a difference here if we're constantly second-guessing our relationship with you? If we're constantly second-guessing whether you love us or you don't, you do, you don't. Whether there's a wall between us, whether we're free, whether we're friends, whether we're enemies. Lord, I pray, settle the issue in the hearts of people here. Father, this side of the cross, we have been forgiven. Sin has no power. It cannot 
build a wall between you and me. And if it can, God, then you're unfair because there's nothing else left that can be done to remove it. As soon as I sin and that wall's there, I'm, I'm gone. But Lord, thank you that it's not like that, that the blood of Jesus is greater than anything I could ever do. Lord, let that truth settle in our hearts this week. Father, that we would understand what it means, that we are truly the head, not the tail. We are above, not beneath. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray in the next seven days, give every one of us here an opportunity to tell somebody about God, Lord, somebody that doesn't know you yet. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So don't abuse me. If you want to come and challenge something and talk to me, I'm fine. Don't throw eggs at me. But I believe everything I just said. Amen? Fantastic. Right, yeah, well, look, uh, let's get some salads out on the table. I think Bevan's ready with the barbecue. We'll jump into some food, eh? Bless you guys.